Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of the Offstage Me podcast. My name is Michael and you might know me as a stationary reviewer on Instagram and YouTube. Today I'm going to be talking with Ben Walsh from Gravitas Pens. We're going to talk a little bit about his process, the challenges, and a little bit about the industry in general. But we're going to start today with a what's new. A couple of the videos I produced recently have been particularly interesting. I looked at some hobby journals from Creator's Friend. So these are journals for collectors and coffee tasters and those kinds of things. They also have what's called the Fast Brain System, which is a journal system like a daily planning system particularly for people who have things like ADHD or other neurodivergencies, to keep them on track. And it's a really beautiful system. And the journals are lovely. Nice PU leather covers. So I looked at a range of notebooks and journals from them, and I'm going to be doing a full review of those in the new year after I use them through the month of January. I'm going to sort of use it as part of my planning system for that month. And I think that'll be really interesting to look back and see how they actually can fit into my life and how they are usable. Because uh, it's all well and good to say, oh, it's got nice paper and it's got nice layout. But unless it's practical, then there's no point. And these certainly look like they're going to be very practical. They're well thought out and they're lovely. I also looked at the Bennu Euphoria fountain pen in the caviar finish. I've reviewed a Bennu before, the Talisman, and I really enjoyed that pen. And actually, next year I'll be doing a video where I compare the Euphoria and the Talisman model. I've already scheduled that in because I enjoy them so much. Bennu pens get a whole lot of hype. People love them. They rave about them. They're constantly in those lists of pens when people say, what are your top three brands? Or if you had to recommend a pen to someone, Bennu always comes up. So it's really great to get a pen that lives up to that hype. And this one really does live up to that hype. It writes beautifully. The material is nice. It's great in the hand. It's just a really fabulous pen. I really enjoyed reviewing that. I'm hoping to be able to get my hands eventually on one of the more out there models from Bennu. The Talisman and the Euphoria are kind of like their standard or their more traditional shaped pens. So I'm looking at what is next there as well. One of the pens I have in my hand at the moment is the Schaefer PFM. This is the pen for men. It's a vintage pen with a beautiful inlaid nib. This particular nib is very, very fine. And I must admit, when I first saw the pen, I wasn't super taken with the design. But the more I use it, I love it more and more. Now, Unfortunately, this pen is on loan to me, so it's not mine, so I don't get to keep this one. A good friend of mine loaned it to me uh, so that I could make a video about it, which I'm incredibly grateful for, and I'm really, really loving the pen. But I think this is one that I'm going to have to keep my eye out for to add to my collection. It's just such a beautiful writer, and it feels very comfortable in my hand. And I'm not a big vintage pen guy, but I've got a few that I really love, and this might be one that I add to my list as, as I said, one to keep an eye out for. Probably the biggest thing to, to happen recently, at least here in Melbourne, was the Melbourne Pen Show a couple of weekends ago. This was great. It was so good to see so many vendors and stalls and pen makers that I know and love so much, all there in one room. Great to chat to old friends and make new friends. Great to actually to meet a bunch of people who listen to the podcast and watch my YouTube channel, and that was really fabulous. But it was great to see Just Turnings and Pens by Casey there sharing a stall. We had Michael Liu from Platypus Pens 
custom printing pens there on the spot, 3D printing them. We also had that pen bloke with his beautiful wooden acrylic pens on display. Really stunning stuff. As well as the wonderful Helen McLean from Helen McLean Leatherworks and Stationery, who I interviewed in the second episode of this podcast. And I picked up a little notebook of hers, a watercolour notebook that I've had my eye on for quite a while, and it is divine. These are wonderful Australian designers and makers. We also had retailers like Pole Prediction and Bookbinders Design there. There was the Robert Oster Swatch Play there. Just great to have all of that in one room. But something new for me that I saw there was Mark's Innovative Gear. That's Shane from South Australia. And Shane makes really great bolt-action ballpoint pens and fountain pens using machine steel. He's known as MIG um, and is getting a bit of a name for himself on the sort of EDC pen market. These pens were lovely. They wrote well. They looked great. Interesting materials, coppers, Damascus steels, all those kinds of things. Really well thought out, really considered, and they wrote beautifully. So I'm really hoping to get my hands on some of those to do a review of those as well next year. There's always just so much interesting stuff and you never have enough time to review everything you want to look at. So I keep lists and uh, I sort of schedule things out and paste things out. So that's one brand I'm really looking forward to getting to know a bit better. And also I love supporting Australian brands. So all those Australian pen makers. Then the, you know, the notebooks and hobby journals from Creators Friend. Australian brands are a big part of what I do and what I want to do moving forward. Now it's time for the Q&A. Now, I'm only going to answer two questions today because I want to get to the interview with Ben. I found that really interesting. Um, So we'll start with a question that came up after I released my review of the Pilot Custom 845 Arushi pen model. And the question was, how does the 14-carat Pilot number 15 nib, the one on the 823, compare to the 18-carat number 15 nib on the 845? I'm going to start by saying that my the nib i have on the 823 is a broad and the nib i have on the 845 is a fine i have tried the fine medium and broad on both pen models and i find that the fine nib feels similar on the 823 but the 14 carat gold nib on the 823 is a little bit softer than the 18 carat nib on the 845 that's what I found across the board. Now, I wanted to get a fine on my 845. I try, As I said, I tried them. That's the one that worked for me. So when a viewer had that for sale and got in touch with me, it was the perfect opportunity to snap one up. As a left-handed writer, I actually prefer slightly stiffer nibs. Softer nibs, they kind of dig in a little bit more into the page as we push it, and we're pushing against the natural sort of inclination of the tines and so if you're rough with these pens you can spring them easier now i'm fairly gentle with my pens and i prefer pens that write wet and smooth so that this isn't an issue but the slightly stiffer nib does for me feel feel a little nicer on the page i find that with my steel nibs as well so i prefer things like the schmidt nibs to some other brands because they just work for a left-handed writer So I think that's probably the biggest difference is the fact that the 823 nib is so unique and it's got this kind of slight bounce or suspension on the page. Now, it's not a flex nib, it's not a soft nib. I'm definitely not saying it's either of those. But it has a little bit of suspension on the page and it's a beautiful writing experience. So I love that nib 
and I love my 845 and the slightly stiffer fine nib on there. As I said, they're both right really wet. They're both smooth, super reliable, consistent. All of those things I look for in a nib, but that's probably the biggest difference. The second question I'm answering today is kind of like an amalgamation of a number of questions I get asked quite regularly. And that question is, can you recommend a black everyday ink? Now, I have made a couple of videos about everyday inks, so I suggest you go and check those out. There's two videos, one for regular inks and one for water-resistant inks, and that's how I'm going to split this answer today as well. In terms of the water-resistant or permanent inks, I don't think you can go past Platinum Carbon Black. This is a very clean black ink. Yes, it does take a little bit more upkeep in your pen, a little bit more pen hygiene to make sure it doesn't sort of dry out and gummy up the works a bit. But it has lovely water resistance, it's nice and black, it's relatively available, uh, and I think it does an amazing job. It's not quite as black as Platinum uh, Chukuro, which is their new black ink, the super black one, but that ink has its own issues and its own problems. The way you've got to clean it, the upkeep of the pen, that kind of thing is a bit more detailed there. So I just say go straight to the Platinum Carbon Black. If you want to go down the Noodler's path, which I do rarely go down that path, Heart of Darkness is probably one of the other nice water-resistant black inks. There's a number of them from Noodlers. That's one I would go to. But I honestly believe you can't get a better water-resistant black ink than Platinum Carbon Black. I would also suggest you look at Detrimentous Document inks. Uh, they probably are some of the other, the non-pigment-based, great water-resistant black inks I've used. Then in terms of standard or non-water-resistant black inks, the ones I mainly use, and I use a number of them, Alami Black, Pilot Black, Diamine Jet Black, and Diamine uh, Onyx. I also use Aurora Black, and Aurora Black is probably one of the best. It is dark, it is wet, it is beautiful on the page, but it is slightly more expensive and a little bit harder to find. So for everyday black inks, I just say to people, look at Lamy Black, look at Pilot Black. If you want to, look at Haban Pearl Noir. That's another lovely ink. But I think if water resistance isn't an issue for you, my go-to is Lamy Black. It's affordable, $25 Australian for a 50ml bottle. Available in a lot of retailers. Also available in Lamy cartridge form, if that's what you're after. But it's a pretty solid everyday black ink. So that's the what's new and the Q&A for this particular episode. Now onto my interview with Ben Walsh. Ben runs Gravitas Pens. Uh, he's a pen designer, pen maker, pen enthusiast with a fabulous history in design. And I chatted to him about, as I said, the challenges, his process, and a little bit about the pen industry. So I'm here chatting with uh, Ben Walsh from Gravitas Pens now. I've looked at a number of his pens over the years and they're absolutely amazing. Uh, so I really wanted to have a chance to have a chat with him. So he joins me here today uh, online from Ireland. How are you going today? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me on, Mick. Um, I've really appreciated your support over the years. Uh, I think actually from the beginning, you were one of the, the first people to pick up uh, the Gravitas brand and... Uh, kind of give me a platform and uh, you, you've supported me from the beginning essentially so thank you well I remember picking up that first pen that you sent actually the um 
the prototype of this, what became the Skittle, I think, yeah. um, was the first one I looked at. And I just remember holding it and going, oh, yeah, Ben gets it. it ha- and I, even from the prototype through to the version that released, there were a number of changes that you implemented. Um, obviously, a lot of that came down to feedback you were given or, uh, you know, the practicalities of design and manufacturing and all those kinds of things. Um, do you find the pens are still evolving or have you got sort of set... Like that pen, for instance, you still sell the Skittle, don't you? Like it's still... Yeah, yeah. So I still sell the Skittle, but uh, I have learned from every single pen I make. Uh, there's mm. always there's always something small. There's always a, a change that can be made. And uh, one of the main things with the Skittle is uh, people don't like damaging the finish. Pocket pens uh, will get damaged in your pocket. So I always uh, figure you could just, you know, post it. It's going to get damaged anyway. But... Mm. Pen, pen people don't want to damage their pens so uh, I have now since evolved into the next generation of pocket pens where it can be posted without damaging the finish and uh, yeah. that's something that is being prototyped at the moment and um, yeah so even since uh, like the last iteration of my pocket pen which was only a couple of months ago it's evolved again and even with the quark it's evolved again and i, I learned from yeah. the quark as well the quark is um it's thread to post and i didn't need uh, i didn't leave enough um lead in on the thread so sometimes it's hard to line the threads up and that's something i learned and i'm, I'm constantly learning in this is your process of finding new materials and things because i know you know you've shown a few things on instagram recently of some of the new materials that you're using for pocket pens and things like that is that part of one of the evolutions of that being that they're more resilient and more durable in that way or uh, no um, so some of the new materials it's more about uh, experimentation exploration of materials in general um, when it comes to um, durable pens and durability I've experimented with coatings I, I've put mm. DLC on grade 5 titanium and people damaged it you could you could damage it yeah you know um i've i've done demonstrations where you can scrape it with a key and it'll take the metal off the key but it won't damage the, the dlc but there's always something harder than dlc and uh, you know yeah. the most uh resilient coating will still come off no matter what I, there's nothing that you can do to stop it i've tried i really have but <laughs> i have to now so some of my pens they're at the the price point where you expect a certain level of durability and a certain level of design in the pen that will protect it from being damaged. So trim rings on the cap or certain parts of the pen to strengthen it or um, liners inside the cap so you don't damage it mm-hmm. if you're posting it or so the, the, the threads don't get damaged themselves by the pen itself. On my, yeah, of course. On, on my VAC pen. The body has titanium threads and the cap is made of uh, either Ultima or uh, acrylic. And mm. the action of capping acrylic onto titanium, it takes some time for the, the threads to wear in. So some people don't like that. So right, yeah. a, a solution to that is to have a, a softer inner liner um, made from, say, Delrin. So on the more expensive pen, uh, like the Kakari pen, that is mm. fully Dalaran lined. It's 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 done as well as I could do it at the time. 
to make it durable and yeah, right. well protected. And that's one of the things I love about what you do, actually. Like, I want to, I really want to talk about your, um, how you find these, some of these materials, both the pen materials, but also like, I know you, you, you kind of like don't discuss the, uh, the, the new nib. Um, I think everyone's wanting to know, but yeah. you, you know, um, but you're, you're doing things that a lot of pen designers and makers just wouldn't think of, or you're taking, taking materials from other industries. Can you give it like a rundown of the kind of process? Yeah, yeah. So I subscribe to quite a lot of um, research mm. um, platforms where you can download uh, research articles and studies mm. um, and a lot of scientific journals as well. A lot of it, I don't understand <laughs> what I'm looking at, but sometimes I find yeah. something really cool. I still don't understand most of what it is, but I can see that there's potential in it. Um, and when I do find something that has potential, I'll investigate it and I'll research it and uh, I'll, 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 I'll learn as much as I can about that one specific topic. Yeah. I'll have a lot of surface knowledge, um, but not, I won't have uh, crazy in-depth knowledge. And at that point, I'll, I'll talk to somebody that knows this technology or this material better than anybody else and I'll learn from them. It's the best way to learn is to yeah. learn from somebody that knows a lot more about it and is a lot smarter than you so i'll always find someone that's very smart and knows a lot more about it than i could ever learn by reading articles and doing wikipedia searches so that's how i i do what i do and i get so far ahead so quickly so yeah just i would always tell people just look at other industries you'll learn so much so with your nib i think the whole fountain pen world is a bit fascinated with the nib You've shown videos, you know, where you've slammed it into a block of wood. And I think you mentioned at one point something about a tin can or something that, you know, a test that you did with it. And the nib stands <laughs> up and you can take it out of the block of wood and write with it. Yeah. You've done the research to work out what process. It's not just about the material, is it? It's about the process of how it's manufactured. I, I, I still can't say what the material is. No, no, no. I can, I can somewhat describe why it is um, or the process as to why it is such a special material. Yeah. Metal is generally a crystalline structure and crystalline structure has grain boundaries and uh, they're the weak points in the material. Um, if you bend the metal backwards mm. and forwards and backwards and forwards, if it's a malleable metal, you'll, you'll, you'll get little cracks and it'll fail. And that's the, it, it fails at the, uh, the, the grain boundaries. And the, when you harden the metal, the, the, the grain boundaries get smaller and tighter and stronger but at a certain point it'll get very brittle and it'll shatter but if you can um, make a material that's amorphous um, and an alloy that's amorphous amorphous is uh, the structure is completely entangled it's knotted together it's a uh, it's basically tied in a knot and it just holds itself together so much better and mm. uh, that's the difference between a metal nib um, and my nib it, it it's technically metal um, you can technically technically call it glass I know that might sound weird but you can call it glass we had the Melbourne pen show this last weekend and I was having a conversation with someone there about how you can put all the fancy materials you want on a pen you can put you know all the fancy filling systems and I love all that stuff but if the nib kind of fails then in the end the pen there's no point in the pen 
really yeah. you yeah. know from my that's my feelings on it at least if you're creating something that is made in a different way that gives it that stability and that durability once once again for lack of a better word yeah well the, the nib is the most important part of a pet if the nib is a bad nib and it's a it's a wonderful machined pen yeah it's just yeah. a wonderful piece of machined metal that's all it is if the nib is no good mm. so yeah. regardless of the rest of the pen if the nib is no good the pen is no good yeah we all know that the perceived best material for nibs is gold um it's it's favored for its uh, flexibility and it's it's spring back um, but it's expensive it's a very expensive material um, but it's a beautiful material to write with and we all want that experience um, when you've experienced a gold nib um, a really good gold nib and then you go back to a, a scratchy extra fine you, you can you can understand why people want gold oh absolutely yeah you mentioned on the video with emmy that you know mm -hmm. it it's also cost effective mm -hmm. the way that you're doing this in comparison to the gold nib is this a technology you see working in the future towards making high quality nibs more sustainable in that way yeah um so i have been making my own nibs for the past couple of years now so mm. i originally uh, had my own steel nibs made and um i went to a company called camride in india um and had titanium nibs made they were they were pretty much off the shelf nibs um, yeah and i had gold nibs made by them as well um and the gold nibs were quite expensive. Uh, cost price of a gold nib was upwards of, I think about $80 before I paid any VAT on it. So it was right. quite expensive. Yeah. Um, so it, was, it just was too expensive for me to even mm. sell. Um, even a titanium nib is quite expensive. Um, for me to buy a titanium nib um, is upwards of 12 $13 per nib cost right. and <clears throat> even that's quite expensive I feel um, because then um, when you retail it you have to put VAT on it and then you have to make a margin on it Yeah, and I, I feel guilty and, and titanium wasn't even that great there was, there was problems with the titanium so the next best was gold gold was very expensive Yeah, and I hate the price of it. Yeah. I hate the, the cost that I have to to put on top of a pen. It makes it very unaccessible for so many people. Mm. Um, we all want that experience and yeah. the majority of us just can't afford it. Uh, the, the, the and it's is. gonna get increasingly so as well. So Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fabulous the fact that, you know, you've you've done all this work and it's it's kind of I must admit, when I watch you know your you know Instagram and things like that, and I see these little the you know the teasers that you put out occasionally of things, I'm really excited to see you know where your brand and where your head goes with it all. Like I know you've got you've you've got plans for things outside of the pen world, and I know you work with other um, you know designers and retailers as a for lack of a better term a consultant, and you know you kind of helping the design process and and all of that. You're also uh, going to be partnering up with um, some retailers going ahead as well? Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty much at my limit uh, of what I can ship out myself. And I've been quite limited to 
be able to ship from Ireland, it's, it's quite difficult. Mm. Um, and going retail is the only option to sort that problem. Um, the the reliability of Irish Post and even Express Irish Post is mediocre. <laughs> it's right, yeah, of course. Um, it's lackluster, and it, it's probably the biggest issue with uh, the brand. Um, uh, so going retail, where I can ship in large batches to the retailer, and they can then yeah. get the product to the customers as quickly as possible. Because I remember during the COVID years. Um, you you had massive problems with like postal services just basically they, they were returning things and not you know like it was a disaster wasn't it yeah i still get that happening so maybe i, I think at the time it was pretty bad it could have been about a 20 percent return rate of just right packages just being sent back maybe it's mm. about five percent at the moment some countries are really bad for just sending a package back so Italy and Brazil and um, Canada, they can be pretty bad for just sending a package back. Just not accepting, right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why Italian post is so bad, but yeah, yeah, they'll just, uh, Romanian post as well can be pretty bad. Um, so, yes, there can be issues with uh, other, so the way Irish post works is it'll hand it off to the the next best uh, shipping company within certain co- countries. Right. So in America, it goes to the U.S. Uh, Postal Service, and uh, yeah, that can be great sometimes uh, and terrible other times. I, I once mm. had packages go into the military stream, um, which I couldn't understand. But the so what happens is I, I I fill a bag with packages just for America, and the bag yeah goes down to the the post office and that bag will then go straight to america and it gets divvied out when it gets to america so same thing with england and certain countries like i can fill a bag up and i just makes things quicker and yeah so a bag went into the military stream once and uh yeah they ended up in uh bouncing around uh kuwait uh, and uh ended up in cairo uh, sent to germany and then Oh, wow. Fi- finally made... So where was that... Des- was that going to the US? Yeah. They finally... Yeah. Yeah, right. They finally made their way to America and then got scanned in um, when they made it. And that... It, it, it only took about two weeks for it to bounce around, but still, it was it was, inter- yeah. it was an interesting uh, thing to happen. How do you find the Australian service? Is that... Does that perform mostly okay? Or? Never had a return from Australia. It takes about three, okay. three weeks. Um, yeah. But it's it's pretty affordable for me to ship to Australia. Um, some countries are quite expensive. Uh, for example, it's I think it's maybe nearly thirty euro for me to ship to Romania, but sixteen euro right. sixteen euro and eighty cents to ship to Australia. Which is also why I suppose working with retailers is advantageous because they have their set sort of structure for that as well and people buy from them knowing where they're buying from yeah and, and also i suppose having stock on hand and you've got the system there set up i suppose it's a that's a it's an easier way of sort of going about it and as you said if you're at the limit of what you're able to deal with it makes your product more accessible to the buyer as well yeah it's it's all about accessibility and um, even though I have myself and two other people doing the shipping, originally it was only me and then I brought someone else on and then I brought someone mm. else on. And uh, 
the problem is that uh, when when more pens get it to people, then it gets more promotion. More people buy, and yeah. it doesn't solve the problem bringing on more people. It actually makes it a little bit harder because where I used to get maybe 100 orders in a weekend, it could be 300 orders in a weekend. So Monday, wow. m- Monday morning, the problem is still the same. So Pen Venture, isn't it, in that you're you're going to be doing some stuff with yeah yeah so yeah the, the reason why is emmy is also very centrally located in uh, europe and um, he mm. um he has a really good deal with dhl so he can ship things very very quickly at a very good price and i just can't do that for maryland it's <clears throat> between yeah. the cheapest i can do to anywhere in europe i think is 32 euro and then anywhere outside of uh, europe is upwards of 60 euro and i i some of my pens are 70 euro and it's just not yeah, it's that's, just not viable at all that's wild i remember once again during the um the the covid years ordering something from i think it was from it was somewhere in europe and the only shipping method was a bottle of ink so it was like a 30 30 australian dollar bottle of ink and the cheapest shipping to get it to australia was like 65 australian dollars so it ended up costing me a hundred bucks for a bottle yeah. of ink. Um, I must have really wanted that ink. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah. But I've had that issue with ink as well. From I wanted to get some Birmingham uh, ink from America. Yeah. Uh, some of them beautiful colors. Great inks. And then, yeah, and then the shipping was just twice as much as uh, the the ink itself. And I was like, oh, I'll just get it when I'm over there. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, it's really scary. And ink, yeah, ink is probably one of the hardest things to, to ship i used to ship ink and i, I don't ship it yeah. anymore because the, the 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 technicalities with sending a liquid it's very difficult and i got so many returns simply because i didn't have the right data sheet right so we've spoken about the research and the design and the growth of the company and a little bit about sort of like what's next for the company what's next for you what would you like to see um i, I want to be better um at business mm-hmm. i suppose um uh, as a designer uh, you have to be good at yeah. business to be good at sales but they don't really teach you how to be good at sales and marketing and everything that goes with running yeah. a business when you when you're learning that in college so i really need to get better at that um my customer service um just having some sort of a system that or the best thing i could do is bring somebody in that could teach me uh, consult with somebody else and that's what I want to do I want to level things up in in that sense because when I go with more retailers I have to you know I have to be mm. on top of things like that there's going to be a lot more customers around the world and I will have to handle uh, any issues uh, for the, the the retailers if there is an, an issue so so you'll still do that yourself a little bit of the problem solving yeah, and stuff yeah even though if it's done for a I think that yeah, uh, it's my responsibility um, to make sure that I do solve these problems. Uh, if there is an issue with a pen, uh, yeah. at the moment, uh, it can take me some time to get back to all the emails. So I want to be able to do that quicker and uh, teach people what I need them to do. Because I'm very, very particular about certain things. Mm. And that, that is something I, I, I want to improve on is letting go of control and having people do more and help more it's it's the only way that uh, gravitas can grow and 
at the pace that it is growing at and mm. continue to meet the needs of my customers um, with regards to replies and uh, customer service um, and even shipping. Uh, it's the only way is bring in more uh, people that can teach me and then also uh, work with retailers so I can get things to people quicker. You mentioned just before, recapping on, you said that you know you study design and one thing you want to sort of uh, develop with yourself is that sort of business process. Obviously, a lot of my listeners know that I'm an opera singer and that in the creative arts. There's no part of the degree that teaches you how to be a business. Yeah. As a singer, you're taught to sing and you're taught music theory and acting and makeup and all of that. But there's no course that's for how to do your tax or how to, <laughs> you know, like how to read a contract, how to read a contract, you know, like these basics of well running a business. So we did get, we had this thing called professional practice. Uh, it was a, an actual um, subject that we had to do once a week. We had a class on it once a week and we would uh, do the basics of what you would wear to a meeting or to an interview or mm. <clears throat> how would you um, manage all your um, designs and how do you store them in the cloud and how do you have backups of your storage? Um, how do you liaise with customers, uh, with clients and stuff like that um, on, a, yeah. on a one-to-one basis? Uh, they teach you how to do that, how to be a self-employed designer um, mm. in a sense, but they don't teach you about selling. They don't teach you about yeah. marketing. Um, and the number one thing uh, that a designer, it's, it's never something that they, they teach or um, they have a subject on, but it's selling. Yeah. If you are a wonderful designer and you have the ability to sell your, your designs, it's very difficult. If you have this talent for singing mm. and you know, you're singing and you're not able to get it onto any platforms and you don't know how to market and, and sell your abilities. Absolutely. You, no, nobody's going to know when there's 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 a lot of hidden talent out there that oh, isn't able to and I think across multiple them. areas of, of the creative arts there's great people who just don't end up in the industry in those early days would you have imagined you know turning on your computer on a Monday morning and finding 300 orders and how you actually go about that like that's a huge that's a huge learning process in itself yeah yeah uh, like it's from the beginning, it was uh, it was a huge shock. It was a massive change to my my usual day to day life mm. and my my usual uh, career. I suppose as a I was a designer, yeah. and uh, Monday morning uh, opened up my emails and I would have my handful of clients that I would be designing a kitchen for. Yeah, now it's. Uh, so much more than uh, I could have imagined, and even even within the first few months of starting Gravitas, mm. it was it was it was massive, uh, and every time I tried to prepare for the next influx, because it 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 has grown more and more and more, I wasn't prepared enough. Uh, every single time, yeah, every single time I think, okay, I'll bring someone else on. Okay, I have to bring another person. Yeah, on. okay, and it, it's just constantly ongoing. It's a great problem to have. At the same time, it's terrible for my customers. And it, it, it's something that does stress me out. And I feel guilty because I, I really do try very, very hard to manage everything. Yeah, but I wish they taught those 
skills. Oh, for sure. It's, it's, so, it's so important. Business is hard. <laughs> like, it's not, there's nothing easy about, about running a business. And I, from the outside, I have to say, it seemed like Gravitas kind of launched and kind of skyrocketed quite quickly. You've obviously got a good brain for all this anyway, and you know, obviously with all the design and everything. But in terms of the business, you, you know, you've grown a business that is doing very well. Uh, yeah, that's something that I now help other people with. But even though, mm. as a, as a subject, I think maybe entrepreneurship or something mm. along the lines of that. That's a good you know, yeah. I I don't like to use the 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 word entrepreneur to describe myself, but um, under the 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 subject of the um mm. if you were to do that as a degree um it would probably teach me everything that i need to know and yeah it's something that i wish i did but if i did that i would never have done design and it, it's the way it worked out but now i can definitely go back and learn a lot more about entrepreneurship i have to i have to learn more about it um, i have to develop skills so i'm just better uh, as a person i, I guess Another thing that um, the the legal side of things, it's it's something that everybody should be very aware mm. of as a designer. Um, I've encountered um, quite a few times now with uh, um, trademark infringements and um, what people think is a trademark infringement and what it isn't. Right. In the design world, it's 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 actually more to do with my logo, but a lot of uh, companies don't understand trademark law. And I didn't understand trademark mm. trademark law uh, until I had to get into the the nitty and gritty uh, with it. Tying in with that episode, kind of slightly, I I saw um, you have on your Instagram. You had that you know ask me a question thing, mm-hmm. and someone uh, mentioned about you 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 working on a uh, like a retractable style fountain pen, mm-hmm. um, and you said yeah I'm working on it, but like I need to make sure it it doesn't infringe on anything, you know, basically. Um, yeah. That's important. And it's important to know the process of that and how to actually, I suppose, avoid it. Yeah. So um, with uh, with pretty much everything I do, um, uh, if I come up with a, an idea in my head, uh, there's a good chance that somebody came up with that idea also. And they might have patented that idea also. Yeah. Um, so you might have a solution to a problem in your mind that you came up with that solution. Mm. Trust me, chances are you weren't the first. You yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So with, with a lot of the solutions to uh, what, what I wanted to solve with my ret- retractable pen, um, the leading pen company in the world already thought of those solutions and of course have uh, certain patents uh, to make sure that nobody tries to get in on that. Um, right. So I have to make sure that I'm doing the, the legal uh, thing, the right thing mm. legally. Um, and that is something that you, you, you must do um, as a business yeah. to, protect, to protect the brand, to protect yourself. Um, if I was to make that pen um, and find out afterwards that I annoyed uh, mm. A big a, conglomerate, a big brand. yeah, yeah. If yeah, a big conglomerate like that coming after you would destroy you. Um, absolutely, absolutely. But there, there still is a lot of things that can be done. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ideas that haven't been uh, patented yet. And yeah, um, I, I work with a, a really talented mechanical engineer, 
and um, he, he knows all these uh, physics principles and um, concepts that I just don't understand at all, but he yeah. understands. And it's all to do with um, air displacement and pressure and pressure differences and cylinders and pistons exactly, and yeah. things that way over my head, but they haven't been patented at all. At all. And um, like the principle of how an Archimedes screw works, for example. I know you source materials and uh, you know manufacturing stuff from all over. Really, like you, you know, you're not tied to one particular place to get everything made and done and bought from. Like, if you were, you could come up with amazing systems of things, but if it can't be made in a way that is affordable or functional or yeah. practical, the, the, that's that kind of brings me back to the nib. That's uh, the nib had to be cost effective mm. it had to be viable um there's a there's yeah. a principle in uh design design thinking um desirability uh feasibility viability and uh, i i use that um yeah for all my ideas if i think something is a good idea or not a good idea and you can actually use this principle for any idea any business idea yeah so the first thing you do for desirability is you have to figure out is this going to be desirable is this something that people want so uh, we'll, mm. we'll, we'll take the nib for example yeah do people want a better nib do people want a, a flexible nib do they want it to be more durable and more cost effective yes and another part of desirability is does it solve a problem yes so if it's mm-hmm. wanted people desire this it's uh, for example we know ultimate is a very desirable material so if we pick the material, right, we want to yeah. pick Ultim to make a pen out of a new style of a pen. We know that that material is uh, desirable. Um, then we look at uh, feasibility. How feasible is it to get this material? Mm. Or how feasible is it to make this design? Um, are we going to use injection yeah. molding? Are we going to use CNC? How are we going to make this pen? So then we find out if it's feasible mm. to do and if it's feasible... Is it viable to sell this at a certain price point? So is it viable to sell this uh, pen at, say, $200? Yeah. If you see that the market is showing signs that it is viable. So you can see that other Ultim pens, for example, might be in the $200 to $300 price range. Is it viable for me to charge, say, $150? Absolutely. Mm. So when you have them three things ticked, then you know an, an idea is, is viable. Um, and you can use that principle yeah. for everything. If it's an idea for um, a computer program, if it's an idea for a concept, a way of teaching yeah. people, uh, you know, you can use that principle for everything. Mm. You can also use that principle to know something's a failure. You know, um, if you want to use a nib, for example, yeah. you, you look at a nib um, and uh, gold is it viable to make a nib out of gold anymore no not really because it's going to be so expensive it, it's it's a commodity yeah so it's not viable anymore mm. it, it's desirable yeah we know that people want gold but the the viability to sell a nib for what it should be sold at it, it's getting yeah uh, out of the price point for many people so it might be it might be desirable and feasible but it's not viable anymore 
So yeah, you have to look for a solution. You have to solve that problem. Yeah. Does it need to tick all the boxes? Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, you can, it can work, but you're taking a risk because you don't know sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes the idea is so new, mm. you don't know if it's viable. So you have to do a proof of concept. You have to make a prototype. Like you have with your nib, in a way, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you have to do a proof of concept. And if the proof of concept works, then you can invest mm. the real big money. Yeah. There's a lot of money that you have to invest. And using the, the, that method, you can save yourself money and yeah. fi figure out the market before you invest a lot of money. Um, it, it, it works for many, many things. In the singing world, we have the three Fs. You know, it's got to tick two of the boxes. So fame, fortune, or fun. And like, <laughs> you, you know, are you gonna, is this going to be really good exposure? Is it going to make you a lot of money or are you just going to have an absolute ball doing it? And if it doesn't, you've, it's got to sort of tick two of those boxes for you to actually want to do the gig. And so it's the same kind of concept of having like a little set of criteria that lets you know when someone approaches you about something, you can go yes, yes, no, and decide then make an informed decision about going ahead with it or with the with the the product or the in my case you know the performance um it's a yeah i think it, it, having those little criteria is uh is super super handy in the end it saves you money so yeah that's handy it's it's not something that is traditionally taught in design hmm. it's it's traditionally taught in design thinking which is um um, universal UX design, like interface design, when it comes to um, app designs and yeah. phones and stuff like that. that. That principle was kind of used in that, but you can actually still use it for product design. Yeah. You can use it for um, designing a program or a software, um, creating a, if you had like some kind of a, a 10 step program of how to become a great singer. Yeah. If it ticked yeah, all the boxes, yeah. yeah. Actually, that's not a bad idea. to write that one down. <laughs> Ten yeah, it's a, it's a viable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it can help you figure out if it's a yeah. viable business yeah. idea. Well, Ben, it's been really great chatting with you. Well, today, your time. Tonight, my time. Um, thank you so much for coming on uh, my podcast. I always learn so much whenever we, you know, message and chat and stuff. But your brain works in a way that other people's just don't seem to, and a lot of that is the hours you put in so uh, thank you so much for uh, all of that i have to ask you the question i'm going to be asking everyone and that is what are your three favorite stationary items uh so for me uh they're kind of related to pen making i mm. guess or pen tuning so the the materials or or the things that i reach for the most uh, day to day that are stationary items are one my polishing pad so i have had the same polishing pad for maybe three years now yeah right so i actually have it here so it's just a twelve thousand grit polishing yeah. pad and it's just a micro mesh uh twelve thousand grit beautiful piece of uh, yeah paper and i every nib gets a rub on this paper <laughs> uh just i just do my figure of eights yep. and uh, my x's and uh then i put it under the microscope and you know that's Number one, I use that hundreds of so times great. a day. And then I also have, um, I use Rhodia number 16 paper to test. So I have just like loads of, well, there's sketches and stuff, but I'll test nibs. Mm. Oh, sorry, you can't even see. But I'll just test nibs uh, 
just the way I actually tested it is by doing my signature. I know yeah, that right. might sound weird, uh, but that's the only thing I know how to do well. Yeah. When it comes to handwriting, and it's something that I can do repeatedly well, and it means that I have uh, a certain type of pressure that I have to put on a nib, yeah. a certain speed that I I can really test a nib by doing the signature. Well, you know, so, you know how that feels and how that works. So it's a yeah, it's a control. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I actually have. Um, pads with just my signature hundreds <laughs> and hundreds of time yeah. and it's 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 not about vanity it's uh, it's just no. about how i uh, test in it for those people at home I, ben and i are on a on zoom while we do, are recording this and he's just showing me that page and it's just covered in his name written over his signature written over and over again it's yeah brilliant yeah so um number 16 uh rodeo paper yeah um dot pads uh, I li- literally have 400 of these in storage. Wow! If they ever go, if they ever go uh, out of production, I'll be sorted because very, very important to my nib tuning. It's yep. the paper. I, 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 I would say number 16 paper is probably the worst paper you should ever use, and it's probably the paper that you should always test a nib on. Yep. If it performs well on bad paper, it'll do well on good paper. Absolutely. Um, and I always test with uh, my Pelican 4001 Royal Blue. So I, I've always tested with a, a dry ink as well. Yep. So I have to be consistent uh, using bad paper and bad ink. Rhodia is pretty good when it Rhodia's comes to fine. paper. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. but in the elitist paper world, it's pretty, pretty terrible. And in the elitist ink world, uh, Pelican is uh, just standard. It's, it's, there's uh, nothing special about it. Beautiful yeah. color, but it doesn't doesn't perform as well as uh, some and of the fantastic to, Japanese. Ink. Yeah, you said this to me before. It's that if you and you said, like then where if you if it works with that, it'll work with anything, you know. Like and so that's as I said, it's a great control with your if you've got these things that you know how they perform and you know how they work. Then that's uh and what what was the number you said to me recently about the amount of um how much Pelican Pelican uh, ink you ordered at one point or have gone through? Um, probably go through about um, in cartridges. I think it was something like nine liters uh, a yeah. year. <laughs> uh, in cartridges, yeah. So yeah, I order uh, maybe. So I get them in boxes of mm-hmm. two hundred and fifty cartridges, and right. maybe. 20 boxes at a time so that's, it's normally a, a significant that's order a, that's a big order yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. so I, I try to i try to give uh, ink with every uh purchase yeah um, of a pen so you can just get started so that's why i buy so much ink yeah um yeah and, and my my third most used stationary item at the moment um is actually my quirk so yeah i have a i have a titanium quirk in my pocket and um, that's bouncing around with, um, so I have a, I, I normally carry a, a blade. So mm. it's just a box cutter that I use because yeah. I'm opening packages and I'm, I'm spreading tines and I, I, I just use the, the razor blade all the yeah, time. Right. So I have that bouncing around in my pocket with another titanium uh, piece of metal. And mm. I also have my ballpoint in my pocket at all times. So nice. I have stainless steel ballpoint in my pocket and uh, yeah, it's kind of how I test finishes. So this is just a standard anodized yeah. finish and I'm testing its durability. So yeah, that's my oh, three that's great. most used. The quark, I've got to admit the quark is a is a very cool little pen. I'm um yeah, it's it's 
the, the the machining and the manufacturing of that you've done pretty astounding work there getting it all to fit <laughs> more than anything you know like it's kind of crazy yeah. yeah it was a bit of a it was kind of like a an exercise for me to see how how you could make it fit in yeah it was a, a design challenge essentially that i put into production and uh yeah i guess everything is a design challenge and the, the quark is just one of those ah i love it well thank you so much uh today ben and uh looking forward to seeing where the company goes and looking forward to looking at you continuing to look at your pens and i've, I've got my delrin here with me right now love it um so uh yeah big big thank you and um i'll talk to you again soon no problem thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate it uh, like i said in the beginning you've been a massive support from day one um i think uh one of the first to do a review uh video um and it was massive thing for the brand in the beginning uh, to I'm, to I'm, get that recognition oh it's been great I've, I've i've really enjoyed our collaboration over the years and uh looking forward to continuing it thanks so much mate no problem so I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ben Walsh. I certainly really enjoyed having a chat with him. It's always fascinating to talk to people who see the industry from the other side. And uh, I've loved reviewing his pens and I'm going to be reviewing a couple more in the future. So it's really great to, to be able to hear about that process and talk about what he has coming up. So thank you for listening to today's episode of the Offstage Me podcast. Next fortnight's episode will be a 2023 wrap-up. So I'm halfway through my season of this podcast and it will continue through into February for this particular season. But I wanted to do a wrap-up of the pens I've reviewed and some inks and notebooks and those kinds of things from 2023, as well as giving a little bit of a spoiler as to some of the awards I give out. Every year I talk about my ink of the year and pen of the year and give some little categories on some of those. So I wanted to just give a bit of a a hint at what how those are going to shape up for 2023 it's been a fascinating year for me i've done more videos and reviews than i could possibly imagine i keep a record of it all and i know how many i've done and it's a lot um if you follow my youtube channel you'd be aware of that but i've loved making them and i'm loving continuing to make them and to take this into 2024 but that next episode will be a wrap-up so please follow this podcast and suggest it to like-minded friends and all those kinds of things the more people that listen and the more the people that support this podcast and my youtube channel the bigger it can continue to get and the more things i can look at and share with you so thank you for listening like and subscribe all that stuff and uh, if you'd like to support my podcast or the youtube channel i would love to hear from you uh, so please, yeah, get in touch. You, you can do that with the email address or on any of the social media that's listed below. In the meantime, enjoy writing and I'll talk to you soon.